Hey, bro. What's going on? How are you? Sounds quiet there. You're not in like a hyperbaric chamber or I'm about to I'm about to go into electrifying the, your eyeballs or something. I'm about to go into the sauna, just finished gym. Awesome. I won't, yeah, you sound, I won't tell you, you sound winded. No, um, I'm not I'm not by the way, I met I met a really there's a high profile journalist I met yesterday, no joke. I'll tell you who it is after the, the show. Um so very high profile journalist and she wants to go come do cryotherapy with me, the cold one. You need you're you're the odd one out. More and more people are doing this shit. Yeah, I well, I, I will tell you the one thing I do is I go stand in my freezing cold pool. Oh, okay, it's not bad yeah. actually. Seven. It's not bad at all. No, it's like it's not that. It was fifty nine degrees recently, so it's not. It's really just Celsius. Like, yeah. Celsius. Celsius. You can't just make yeah. up your own your own metric systems in the U.S. and expect us all to know. Actually, uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but everything the United States does is right and everything you guys do <laughs> elsewhere is wrong. You guys it's, say, it's objective you guys, fact. You take the British language and the British metric system and then just go create the U.S. and then make up your own accent and your own metric system. And then we have to all follow we literally you. Don't, we and, literally don't even know how to speak a second language, any of us. No, none of us. It's because like, we we're, it's we're, all, we're all your bitches. We have to learn your language. <laughs> that's, that's how the that's world correct. works. I'm glad, I'm glad we've admitted that in a step. Maybe American dominance will end sometime after I'm alive, but for now, you know, whatever. Man, I, I don't mind American. The last thing I want is American dominance to end in my lifetime. Then I have to learn a whole new language just because American dominance. But I have to start learning Mandarin again. <laughs> Do you speak Mandarin? I learned it in, in university, but I, I, I don't I don't speak it. Uh, I, I started forgetting it. You learned you learned Mandarin in university. Yeah, because I was smart, man. I'm like that will help me in my life. And then in the middle of the, I was doing well. And in the end of first year, I uh, I read a news article about Google creating. It was years ago, 10, 11, 12 years ago. Google was creating like a something you wear on your neck uh, that translates automatically. So I dropped out. I'm like, technology is going to solve it for me. And then they never launched the product. So, so I'm still stuck without knowing that. But I used it in my e-com business because I, obviously I imported a lot from China. So I could impress them a bit. And don't tell me to speak anything. I don't speak anything. Don't try it. Um, one of us. You're one of us. Good job. Yeah. Um, but do you want to kick off the show? Yeah, Bitcoin's still pushing. I think that's the big story right now. 42,200 at the moment. Uh, you know, there was that sort of strong rejection, strong in quotes, because relative, not at all, uh, when it hit 42,000 the first time. But buyers seem very, very uh, intent on keeping this up. You know, you would have expected at a key resistance like that, maybe some consolidation below, which I think we, we could still see. But the fact that it drops so little and continues to push, really, really encouraging, I think, for, for the market. And I think altcoins slowly uh, will start to catch up, maybe if it chills. But uh, Bitcoin dominance just actually made a new high, um, looking 54.58% right now. I think the last high was, I'm looking right now, 54.35%. And now we're back to levels of Bitcoin dominance we haven't seen since 2021. April 2021, which we already kind of were in general, but the fact that it's making even a new high from earlier in this cycle, pr pretty impressive. I think it's time to focus for now on uh, King Bitcoin. And Rand, Pepe's pumping, dude. I, I uh, tweeted you about it. Your favorite signal. Pepe, so I, that I, means Bitcoin. I, I, means... I expected a response, well, to be honest. Well, well no, no, no. Uh, that means that, that in, in any day now, the market will come down. It's that. I said, your that favorite means... signal. That's my favorite signal. That is my favorite signal that the market will come down. 
And there's a CME gap at 39,600. So kind of makes sense. Maybe, maybe get Gareth to give us his thoughts on, on the market's reaction after the pump over the last 48 I, hours, Gareth. I bet you oh, Gareth on. is short-term short. I bet you Gareth is short-term short. He's super short 42K, but that would be rational. I don't know that he is, but that's my guess too. I bet you Gareth is short-term short. <laughs> you guys. Um, rational, yeah. I try to be as rational as I can. Um, so so basically, first of all, it's impressive, the move, right? 26,000, almost almost no consolidation straight up to about 42 here. Um, I, I think we've talked about this before, that it could go as high as 48. Gareth dropped out. I lost him. Yeah, I lost. Oh, okay, yeah. I thought it, yeah, I thought it was on my end, but he said yeah, last thing I heard is that he wouldn't be surprised if it hits forty eight. That doesn't yeah, sound then like he, it then he got vapor, he got vaporized. The bears took him <laughs> out. Yeah, <laughs> he said it. Yeah, so he got taken out well, by well, the uh, bears well, council. Well, well, yeah. Well, Dusty, do you want to jump in and continue Gareth's sentence until he's back on? I mean, Unless you disagree with it. I mean, I can't read his mind. I'm not sure exactly what he was going to say. Uh, we, I looked at a lot of the metrics before, and I, I saw one guy, uh, the Rational Root maybe or something, post about 47K per Bitcoin, and he basically showed where a lot of the shorts were lying, and I thought it was a really uh, interesting theory about that, that 47 might be the big barrier. Uh, and we talked on the channel before about how 40,000 is kind of like a fake number. In this case here, how 40 is a very big psychological barrier, but we broke through as if it was like nothing, like uh, just air, which is kind of interesting. But right now, I'm just mostly looking at the BRC coins. Like uh, Scott said, Bitcoin taken off, and I'm noticing it's such a small industry, but the interest is crazy. I mean, Ordi, have you seen the performance of that? It's... <laughs> It's just absolutely well. Dusty, actually, I literally know nothing about it. That now. I spoke about yeah, that. I was going to ask you guys. There's two but it's traded as one narrative. It's really quick. Smart oh, contract narrative, which is tokens like Stacks, STX. And the other narrative on Bitcoin is the ETF narrative, is the NFT narrative, which is Audi and, and, and all the, all the Audi uh, related uh, uh, tokens. And they, they're absolutely flying. In fact, in the last seven days, the sector is up over 118%. Rand, can you hear me? I, I don't think I you can, can hear, hear me. Hear I was good at, yeah, I was good to say Dusty. Rand, I, I I'm gonna bring Rand you. Can hear me. Yeah, I'm going to bring you down and back up, Rand. You can't hear you, Scott. Go ahead, Scott. But uh, already can be traded as an ERC-20. Is that correct? I haven't really dug into it. Dusty, do you know the answer how and where you uh, trade already? Uh, <laughs> maybe not the most crypto answer out there, but I just traded on a centralized exchange, to be honest with you. Uh, why not? Right, I just find it interesting. It's a Bitcoin-related token, but it's trading on the Ethereum network. Is that I correct? mean, it's in theory, most can anybody coins answer? Because I'm not. I, I might be a boomer here. I have no idea. Hold on, hold on, Scott. Can you hear Dusty? Can you hear Dusty or no? Yeah, I can hear Dusty. I just really oh, okay, like interrupting cool. him. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Because you ask it because you, you ask him a question, and then you're like, "Why no one's answering my question?" Dusty's trying to answer. It's like no one's actually telling me this information. I don't know why no one's helping me out here. Go ahead, yeah, he said a centralized exchange, but that doesn't say. Well, it, but the, uh, on the chain, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most yeah. coins can be traded on Ethereum if you want to. I mean, if there's a wrapped version of it, or do you mean like? In, uh, uh, yeah, I just meant natively, like where, where I guess the, the answer is you just go trade. Yeah, I guess Unisat. I'm not sure where else, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know where you would use, where you would even do that. I've never tried. I'm not sure why. Rand, can you hear me now? Just making, we're just checking the Rand can hear, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I can. I'm back. I'm back. I'm okay, back. great. Sorry, I apologize. Yeah, but can anyone can anyone give us a bit of a, a bit bit of an update on maybe Scott? You can uh, sorry to interrupt you, but like just on the BRC tokens and the and the ordinals and the BRC ecosystem, the Bitcoin ecosystem. So how's two, it how's it performing since the the pump? So there's two ecosystems inside Bitcoin that are running. One is the smart contract 
narrative on Bitcoin, which is like the, you know, the, the, the smart contract, DeFi, that kind of thing. And that is Stacks is the STX, is the ultimate, Block Stacks is the ultimate uh, winner there. And the second narrative which is running is NFTs or the Bitcoin equivalent of NFTs, which is called Ordinals or Audi. Audi is the protocol um, which does that. Now, both of those narratives are running really, really hard. Um, uh, I'm just quickly opening the, the numbers so you can see here. So Audi is up 151% this week. Uh, it's up 636% this month, just to give an idea. Uh, STX this month is up... It's uh, 86.86% this month, but it's quite a big protocol. It's actually up 86% this week as well. So it's most of the gains have actually come this week. Um, but yeah, that's the two narratives that are running it. So as Bitcoin runs, the two narratives on Bitcoin running, the, the NFT narrative and, um, and the, and the um, uh, smart contract narrative. Or just, I guess, the whole Bitcoin ecosystem. Oh, yeah. I, can, I was like, like, you're saying specifically yeah. two narratives, but isn't it just anything associated to Bitcoin? Because even Bitcoin Cash, I think, was doing pretty well. Even though, in- well, yeah. That, so that's why Bitcoin Cash actually isn't doing very well, which is why it's not. It's not like the BCHs and the BSVs. They aren't really running very much. So if you look at like, if you look at BCH, I saw it earlier on today, yeah. 240. I don't know where it is now. 241. 241. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so you're, right. you're right. I'll take yeah, that. Yeah, it, it's. Which yeah, I guess makes my point even more clear. It's Bitcoin's ecosystem doing well. And I guess in theory, you would expect an inverse correlation with Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV. And I guess it's kind of proven to be right. And anything Bitcoin natively associated is, is, is doing well. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bitcoin narrative is running. Definitely. Bitcoin People cash. are firming into it. Yeah, it's, it's the dead. miners, it's Coinbase. Yeah, it was, it's not you, much. Yeah, it hasn't you, done you, well do at you all. you trash in my biggest holding, Bitcoin Cash? <laughs> It's your. Oh, okay. I, I thought it was BSV. <laughs> I thought it was BSV. Uh, I was wrong um, about you. Yeah. So, so no, but I want to, I want to dig. I'm just very curious on the narratives. I mentioned that yesterday, and I want to, Gareth is back. So, we'll go back to the, just the, the market in general. But one thing I want to talk about is gaming. You know, I've been, I've been talking about gaming for, for since the entire Bay market. And we're starting to see a lot of gaming, um, gaming projects do really well. One of our biggest holdings is a gaming project that's been killing it in the last few days. And I'm just really, really bullish. And I, I want, if anyone reads that gaming could lead uh, the next bull run. I know it's too early to talk about these different uh, uh, different narratives now. And I think Ryan is saying, hey, more indicators were, were at the peak. But uh, let's go back to, I don't know, Gareth dropped out again. But we do have Eric here. Maybe get Eric's thoughts on, uh, on the recent pump. Eric? Yep. Can you hear me? Yeah, man. You, you want to you wanna take the pleasure in ruining our party or you agree that? Continue partying. Eric the- was busy uh, bo- go over the main event boxing in <laughs> Dubai, man. Did you go see him? I was there, man. No, it was man. a good fight. I didn't know that Eric was such a so, like Eric until I saw the pictures of you. I was like, I, I, we always talked through a screen. I had no idea you were so exactly. Bad. Then you, you, you would be a little more quiet, huh? Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I only say nice things to Eric, regardless. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's good to hear from you as well, man. Um, yeah, so as far as the Bitcoin uh, rally goes, my thoughts on it, I mean, I think it continues. I think December um, is going to be another uh, general upside month. I mean, obviously, we've already seen some good upside. But the statistics for December are actually rather interesting just because, um, historically speaking, December has had one of the most – it is one of the most volatile months for Bitcoin, um, especially on upside moves, as the average return for positive Decembers has been somewhere around 
um, I think it was like 24, 25%, which is a really interesting number because it matches up um, incredibly well with one of my other models that is suggesting that upside continues throughout, again, kind of, you know, the month of December. And, um, and that one's kind of looking more at like a 20-ish percent move. Um, but that's from like August, or sorry, not August, but uh, November um, 27th uh, day. So anyways, both of those things kind of lining up for me does say, that uh, directionality and kind of seasonality, um, you know, Bitcoin probably continues to the end of this month, something like that. I don't think that the rally is necessarily done. I think that uh, 45,000 is possible, maybe even 48. Things get really crazy. That's, however, where I would start to be really, um, really just concerned. Uh, I would kind of look at that as that a great area for, you know, Bitcoin to <coughs> put in a major high and then come back down. But uh, for now, yeah, I think that the, that the rally continues and I think um, it continues actually in the near term. I would love to hear Peter's thoughts on that as well. Yeah, I mean, the, the trend's up. I, I don't want to pick a top to this thing. I'm fully committed to the long side for me. Bitcoin is crypto. Crypto is Bitcoin. It's the only game for me. So, uh, there's no reason for me to be lightening up, although we have met all the targets that were established down in the bottoming areas all the way down to 15, between 15 and 30. Um, all those targets have been met. Now, just because a market meets a target doesn't mean you, you turn around and flip the sides and go the other way. Because markets can proceed well past target areas. But for me, I'm a hold. Um, for right now, that's that's the only way I want to play this. Is there is there any is there any way, guys? Is there any way that we could see new lows before the next bull market? Is that even still a possibility that's worth discussing? It's or always a possibility. Far... It's just what's the probability of that? I think it's yeah. So that's what I mean. Possibility, possibility worth discussing. Like, is it probably not black swan? And so the probability is naturally pretty low. So I mean, if you're just if you're looking at it that way, I mean, uh, would it be that wise? I would think that is quite unlikely, in other words. In, in, yeah, yeah, I think you'd have think... to see, you know, if you're looking at it, certainly technically, Mario, I think you don't even start thinking about that until you start breaking just a number of key levels between here and there. You know, I think that uh, talk of that became nonsensical, really above 25, certainly above the 30s. But now in the 40s, I mean, imagine a 70 or 80% drop from here. It could happen. It happened kind of during covid uh, in the last cycle, right? We saw Bitcoin basically go from 20 to 3000 ish back up to 14 and all the way back below four. Um, so, you know, that was a pretty major move up off the lows and back down, but, uh, I don't think there's a reason to be speaking about it at the moment. Like if we start trading back below 30, back below 25 or something, certainly uh, worth the conversation. Yeah. But, but I think just based on, on what we're seeing, then, you know, Roy just put out a story today. The title is, uh, that Binance might be peak for U.S. crypto enforcement cases. So we've kind of seen the, the worst. Yeah, kind of I think every, what else could there be, right? I mean, having Plus seen what happened with Binance, it's the biggest platform in the world, and they effectively got a slap on the wrist. It's a hmm. huge fine, and CZ is certainly falling on the sword, whether voluntarily or not. But if you see the worst case scenario become that Binance is monitored and moves forward, what, what could possibly happen that would be worse than that? I mean, you know, the the market was almost pricing in finance disappearing. Mm. Matthew, is there, is there, you know, any black swan events that could obviously black swan events can't be predicted, but is there anything that could happen in your opinion that could have a, 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 to bring it back to discussion of hitting new lows for the for the cycle? 
Hey, gents and ladies. Um, I mean, if it, you know, the last time there was a U.S. recession, Bitcoin dumped sixty percent. So, if there's some type of hard landing accompanied by suddenly tightening liquidity, then I wouldn't rule out the chance of of you know volatility. Let's say if the ETF flows are are disappointing in Q1 uh, ahead of the having, like that's that's a possibility on the roadmap. Um, but I think what we're seeing here is just Bitcoin dominance reemerging as it usually does before and into the having. Um, the, the recent strength looks like it's driven by the, st the spot market uh, and regulated products like European ETNs, uh, not leverage. So we can see these large accumulations on chain from new whales. We can see $1.8 billion that has flowed into regulated products in the last 10 weeks. That's the highest since October 2021. We can see Bitcoin NFT issuance is up 1,000% in the last month. Uh, so the NFT market is is consolidating. Bitcoin, ETH, and Solana are taking share. Uh, Binance Smart Chain is getting smoked. Uh, we can see Phoenix Labs. This is an Abu Dhabi-based Bitcoin miner who IPO'd today. They raised more than $300 million. This company is now the largest Bitcoin miner in the world by market cap, and the retail portion of that IPO was oversubscribed by, by 80 times. So you may have some retail demand that's flowing into the coins uh, who didn't get allocated to that IPO in the Middle East. And, and the old holders are just not selling much into this strength. So until I see that start to pick up, it's hard to see uh, much Bitcoin underperformance um, into the ETF narrative. Um, so I think the fundamentals are, are what's different here. Like our subsidiary market vector, which is an index uh, maker, has like three dozen digital asset indices. They just released a new product today, which is a fundamental crypto index. Uh, and, you know, Bitcoin's the largest component, right? So th if you look at the fee market, there was a time in October when Tron was the highest fee earning blockchain. I think I called it out on this space as, as being something that was unsustainable. And indeed, that did not last. Bitcoin and ETH are now um, uh, ahead of the pack on that. So I think, you know, it's, I, I like the large caps here um, into the halving. What do, you, do you think that any of that uh, Tron giving up some of that market share has to do with the new sort of conjecture that Justin Sun or, you know, all the hacks with Paul B and Tron, certainly, but that uh, he could be next for some sort of enforcement action? Uh, the, the Tron fees have basically been a, a flat line. Like if you look at the series, it looks just too stable to believe. Uh, so it's, it's it, the, the answer to your question is no, that hasn't shown up yet, uh, but it, it very well could be. That makes sense. I want to ask you, obviously, Van Eck, what do you think would happen? I know it's heresy to imply that the Bitcoin spot ETF could be rejected. Uh, so I hope I don't get uh, speared for that. But what, what do you think would happen to this market if that did, since it's so priced in that we're getting an approval and that we're getting an approval by January? I think that'd be very bad for the market. <laughs> but uh, I also think we've got... Uh, nearly a dozen of these. And you can see from uh, the volume of changes in these 19B4s and S1s that keep trickling out that the SEC is clearly engaged in active communication with nearly all the issuers to uh, dot the I's and, and cross the T's on these applications. And if there's one or two stragglers who, who can't answer their questions, then maybe those don't get approved. But I think that would be a, a a big and negative surprise if there were, uh, say, if uh, BlackRock or, or, you know, was not able to come to market. 
let's let's assume obviously then the flip side, which is we're seeing ninety percent chance of approval from the guys at Bloomberg, Daltrunis, and Saferd. Let's say that they all sweepingly get approved on January tenth. Eight to twelve of them, you know, by that rationale. Do you think that uh, there will be a massive marketing battle for AUM between all the ones that are approved? That's something that you think these companies, I don't want to ask you specifically about you guys, but that the companies are planning, assuming that you'll get the approval. Obviously, we even saw marketing campaigns for the Ethereum spot ETF three days before they were approved. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely going to see that. I'm getting, you know, blackmail type emails from media companies, you know, telling me all my competitors are, are advertising on this platform. You better do it or not get left behind. So um, it, it, it's definitely be going to be a marketing war. Uh, our expectations are about $2.5 billion in flows uh, within one quarter. And we do that by looking at the flows in GLD in the first quarter and then adjusting for the change in M two, which is like 3x what it was in 2004. So I think there's a, a, a bigger demand for, you know, hard money regulated products and uh, Bitcoin will take incre incremental share from gold. And so we get to two and a half billion within one quarter. Uh, and we see the, the medium term market size at $40 billion in flows uh, over the first two years. $40 billion is a significant. I find it interesting you're putting it those numbers on the first quarter. BITO, which was a futures ETF launch, obviously it's a, a subpar product, was the most successful ETF launch in history, not just crypto ETF launch, ETF launch period. And they did a billion, I think, in 48, 72 hours, very, very, very quickly. Do you think that was a function of the point when it was approved in the market, the fact that we were at the peak peak of a, another sort of bull rally at that point? Because it seems like uh, we're underestimating the power of a spot ETF uh, if we saw a futures ETF do that much AOM so quickly. Yeah, I'd be happy to be pleasantly surprised, but I think what we're seeing in the in the spot market and on exchange is that retail has not really come back to this market yet. Uh, we're not really seeing, you know, the the typical leverage frenzy that would mark like uh, the middle of a bull market. So that informs our expectations. The other thing is talking to a lot of these regulated um, investment advisors and wirehouses. You know, they're clearly doing the work on these ETFs. ETFs, but I think it's a limited number that are, that are going to be ready to go from day one. Um, many of the larger players are kind of, you know, happy to miss the first month or two if it means, uh, you know, properly doing due diligence on which they choose. Do that, but that's interesting because it seems like if you're not in the first wave of approvals, you have a huge disadvantage for AOM. I mean, even BITO, I think, you know, as I said, did that billion quickly. Valkyrie was approved within 48 hours and only did tens of maybe a hundred million, you know, hundred, 120 million. I don't want to quote the wrong number. No, I, yeah, like I agree part. with you. It's, it's a winner take all advantage. market. Yeah, no, the, on the issuer side, it's a winner take all market or winner take most. But I, I mean, from the buy side, uh, the, the Wall Street, you know, bank owned brokerages, uh, you know, Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, the, these types of players, they're kicking the tires on which ETF they may go with and if they'll be ready on day one or not. And I, I think, you know, not certainly not all of them are going to be ready and allocating on, on day one, but the ETFs that capture the flow and the liquidity will be the ones that they allocate to on day, you know, 30, 60, 90. Sorry to keep asking questions, but I find this really interesting. And this is sort of different insight than we've gotten 
before. How do you think on the buy side then that they differentiate? What, what will they be looking at as to where they sort of deploy as opposed to retail, which I think will just see the biggest name, you know, at, at maybe retail sees BlackRock and they're the first to a billion and gets excited. Seems like that's not necessarily the case on the, on the institutional side. I think in the secondary market, it, it, it'll come down to AUM and liquidity and, you know, the, those who are the largest. You know, th this is how markets work is that liquidity be begets liquidity. Um, you know, I think there's some opportunity to, to maybe pick up uh, holders of GBTC who are looking for a cheaper product. So issuers are going to be looking for folks who can seed their ETFs on on day one to, to get the AUM up. Uh, but, you know, just, just look at all these products over the last 10 years when when two like products come to market whichever gets the liquidity ends up being the winner anyone paying attention bitcoin just uh made a very slight for the moment but new uh yearly high by about 30 or 40 dollars from uh you know yesterday <laughs> um but yes continuing to push around forty two thousand four hundred dollars let's discuss eth guys uh obviously the big before, uh, scott can you hear me? Yeah, just be, Gareth is, I don't know if he's still up. Yeah, he is. Gareth was finishing that sentence about three hours ago. Yeah, the bears, they, they vaporized him when he tried to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Gareth, you, you, last thing we heard you say is that you wouldn't be surprised if we, you know, there's still a possibility we could hit 48K before and then you were continuing that point. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know what happened earlier, but, but all good. Um, so yeah, so for me, it's, it's the potential that you could go up to 48K. You got your 618 Fibonacci there. And you also have converging trend lines. So, and, and you also have the 50,000 even number, right? So psychologically, 50,000 will be a, a little bit of a stopping point as well. Um, so for me, it's, it's kind of expecting the approval to come, obviously, between now and January 10th. And then we likely have a spike up into that range. And then I actually think that puts in a short-term high in Bitcoin. And again, I don't know how long it'll be a high for, but I would expect a retrace back down to about 30 to 32 after that happens. It's amazing men mentally how good 32 felt on the way up and how horrible 32 would feel after hitting 48. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I agree. That would be a, a shock to a lot of people out there. I think I think the, the sentiment out there is amazingly bullish that it's, you know, here we are and we're going to head towards the all time highs in no time at all. And, I, you know, I wish it was that easy. I, I wish trading was that easy. I, I've never had it that easy in my life when I've been a trader. <laughs> Peter? Yeah, same thing. I, I mean, I'm just looking ahead for the next year or so. I think 29 to 32 should catch the lows if we even see that. That's my my buy back in or add point is down in the low thirties. So, so Matthew, yeah. uh, before before Scott moves on to ETH, uh, I wanted to ask you: Is there any specific narratives, anything that interests you in in the space at the moment? You know, I've, I've talked a lot about gaming, and I was talking about it earlier. Uh, social talks is something else that's been interesting. Um, anything in the Bitcoin ecosystem has uh, been something we've been pretty excited about here. Um, anything specific you're looking anything not getting the attention it deserves? Uh, we are we're just about to put out our you know 15 crypto predictions for 2024 so you'll see that on the tape hopefully tomorrow um, you know on, on the on the Bitcoin specific side uh, you know one of one of the predictions is that uh, Argentina will become the fifth country to uh, mine Bitcoin kind of at the state sponsored level I'm not sure everyone noticed that the, the state owned 
Sorry to interrupt you. Oma- Oman, Oman, Bhutan, UAE, and El Salvador. Oh, wow. UAE, I didn't know UAE is already mining at a state level. Okay. Austria, yeah, they, they own, five. right, it's a, it's a JV uh, that they have there with, uh, with Marathon. So there, there's definitely state money. Also, this, this Phoenix that just went public today, uh, the largest shareholder is, is the royal family. So uh, I'm counting them. Um, but in, How in Argentina... Sorry, I was sorry to keep interrupting you, but just on the Dubai front, I'm, I'm based in Dubai and, and Phoenix was a talk of town for, for weeks, if not months. Every event I, I go to speak at, Phoenix is, is probably the highlight of that event. So how was the how was, uh, how was the IPO? Has it been performing? It's now the biggest miner, uh, you said earlier? Yeah, the stock's up 30% this morning, first day of trading. Um, it's now the biggest publicly traded miner in the world. Uh, the retail portion of the IPO was oversubscribed 180 times, uh, overall 33 times oversubscribed. So it, it went quite well. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Javier Malay in Argentina is looking at this. And, and one signal that we have is that um, the head of uh, exploration and production at uh, Tech Petrol, which is Argentina's largest private energy company, who is uh, who recently announced plans to mine Bitcoin and other crypto with stranded methane. He's becoming CEO of YPF, which is the state-owned energy company. So I think some of those uh, pro-market and pro-Bitcoin, you know, energy story will uh, translate to the state-owned level. Um, so we're we're keeping an eye on that. Any other interesting predictions that you have? Um. Well, you know, we don't think Ethereum is going to flip Bitcoin next year, uh, but we do think it's going to outperform every mega, tech, mega cap tech stock. Uh, but it, we just think Bitcoin is going to continue to lead this market rally into and after the halving, and then value will flow into smaller tokens as they usually do um, after that. Uh, and, you know, ETH will probably keep losing share to other smart contract platforms uh, with less uncertainty around their scalability roadmap, uh, specifically referring to to Solana there. Um, on the Bitcoin side, uh, we think NFT activity, there's been a huge rebound uh, just in the last month. Uh, a lot of the larger cap NFT uh, collections don't are that, uh, yeah, the, the, Don't say that here. You know, you know what that does. Well, hold on. Hold on. Let me just finish, right? <laughs> since since NFTs are a thing, um, ETH's issuance of NFTs is 50 to 1 versus Bitcoin in primary NFT sales since inception, 5-0 to 1, 50 to 1. In the last month, it's like 1 to 1. So we're taking Holy a shit. shot at... W- yeah, and like what 2024 going to look like? Maybe there's some mean reversion, but if the ratio of ETH to BTC primary NFT issuance is say three to one next year uh, versus the since inception fifty to one, uh, that's going to drive I think a huge narrative for uh, like some of the layer twos that you mentioned, like Stacks, a smart contract platform secured by Bitcoin. Um, so you know, bullish on those kinds of stories. Also think that um, staking to Lightning nodes is going to become a thing. It's not really called lightning staking, but there is a way to allocate your BTC on lightning nodes and earn a return. It's just, it's very risky and low return right now, but we're starting to see some protocols uh, emerge that abstract away some of the technical challenges of managing a lightning node uh, and that along with some federated self-custody solutions, it's possible that uh, users will be able to participate in the remittance market from their cold wallet uh, and earn some yield and and that would be uh, a new narrative for BTC. Can we just let Matthew host in the future? <laughs> yeah, you're welcome to drop, drop down any time, Scott. Thank you. I'm done. <laughs>
Um, okay, anything else? I'm, I'm literally taking notes, by the way. That's why you hear me pause. Um, uh, the Bitcoin NFTs, the 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 one to one ratio was. was I, I know they were picking up. I don't know it was that that level. Um, that was surprising. And um, uh, what else? What other predictions do you have, Matthew? Uh, I, I've dropped enough alpha on this. You guys check for the piece. It's coming out tomorrow. Tomorrow. What about we bring you on tomorrow, Scott and Ryan? Are okay with it? Bring you on tomorrow. We can go through the piece together with someone from your team. All right, catch me on DM me. Okay, cool. that's a nice way of that saying no. Amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's so like, have your people yes. call my people. And we'll do lunch. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. DM me. Cool. Uh, we'll wait for the piece tomorrow. Uh, Scott, I think you were moving to the east earlier. Yeah, I, I think that Matthew actually just gave us a nice segue. Uh, his opinion there, I think, is probably very rational that we'll be losing market share potentially to other layer ones, especially Solana, but that uh, we'll still move well. I, I think uh, ETH is lagging here, but is a sleeping giant, personally. So I, I do think that uh, this is a great time to start looking at Ethereum because it's lagging. I think that's an opportunity and not really an indictment, but I would love some of the other analysts here or, or people who are watching it to give their opinions. Peter, do you watch ETH at all, or are you largely watching Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm, I'm, watching, I'm, watching, ETH. Oh, I'm watching ETH, but uh, I, I just can't get excited about ETH. I, I mean, it just does not have the rallying power. I see a big rising wedge in ETH, which potentially – could give us a spike down, but I think, you know, Bitcoin would have to have a pretty good correction for that to happen. I'm not a big bull on ETH like so many people are. Ryan, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. What excites you, man? You've been pretty quiet last 48 hours. Um, I mean, look, I'm, I mean, Bitcoin obviously excites me because of an ETF. I think that, I think that, so my thesis goes something like this. The best way to get into an ETF is with with prices going up, because if prices are going up and an ETF launches, then it's like, how can you not have the asset in your portfolio? Like it is like the best performing asset ever. It's outperformed gold. It's outperformed the stock market. Uh, on my show today, I said Bitcoin's five year price performance is better than the S and P's thirty year price performance. Bitcoin's obviously on a risk-adjusted return. There's only one stock that performed better. That's NVIDIA. And no other asset class performed better on a risk-adjusted basis. So when you get the price pumping because of the ETF into the ETF, effectively, when the ETF launches, it's very hard for an investment advisor to say, look, you know, Mario, I didn't put this into your portfolio because. Because what are the because? You know, like, how do you not put the best-performing asset, the best-performing asset on a risk-adjusted basis, all of those into into a portfolio. So I think the, the thing that excites me the most is going into a portfolio with the asset class actually uh, increasing. Then obviously I'm a little bit excited about ETH, but to be honest, I reduced 50% of my Ethereum holdings and I put 50% of my Ethereum holdings into Solana. And the reason is I, I use both. I use ETH and I use Solana. And to be honest, using ETH is, it's a horrible, expensive experience. And all these layer twos for me are just spaghetti. There's just so many layer twos and I want to use an app, but it doesn't talk to the layer to the app on the, uh, uh, the layer two on the other app. And I have USDC on the one, but I don't have, I don't I haven't bridged them to the other. And it's just a shit show. It's, it's an absolute shit show. And I believe that we're early enough in the cycle that Solana can still make huge uh, headwinds or, 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 or huge headway into the, the industry. So 
I placed a lot of my chips off East and into Slana. That said, I'm not stupid. I do believe that the ETH narrative will run because as soon as the Bitcoin ETF gets approved, the fund managers, the big money is going to go into the, into the ETFs, into the ETF narrative and say, look, the next ETF has to be ETH because there's an ETH futures ETF, which is already trading. And if, if the SEC didn't approve a, uh, an ETH ETF, they'd go to court again and the judge would call them nasty names. Um, but then I'm like, you know, I, I'm a narrative investor. I don't recommend the type of investing that I do to most people because you have to keep your finger on the pulse when it comes to narratives. And like there's, there's multiple narratives which are always hot. So like, like um, uh, uh, um, example, like, like gaming right now is very, very hot. I don't know if it's going to be hot forever, but I know that it's, it's hot right now and there's a lot happening in the, in the gaming narrative. So, so that, that's one of the ones that, that, that I'm looking at. Um, decentralized physical infrastructure, or they call, it, um, they call it deepen, which is decentralized physical infrastructure. So that's like things like decentralized file storage, decentralized computing power, um, anything where we can decentralize and we can create efficiencies to, through decentralization. So I'm investing a lot in, in, in that. Uh, the Solana narrative, as I mentioned, the DEXs, the staking protocols, the, the whatever else. Now, again, these are all the narratives that I'm investing in, but it doesn't mean that it's good for everyone, for everyone, because I'm very, very, very active in this and I live this every single day. And if you're not, and you, know, you, you, you catch a narrative, but then you don't trade out of the narrative, um, I think you could be caught a little bit with your pants down. Everyone else can just Michael Saylor it and laugh their way to the bank. And one question, guys. Are you guys noticing as well that since we started this call, Ordi is up another, I think, like 15% or something? I think 15% up. That's on you, Dusty. I'm going to call Gary and tell him. <laughs> the last like 40 minutes. It's crazy. It's pumping hard. That coin is one of the craziest performances I've seen in a while. I mean, it just keeps on going every day. And that makes me feel like, like real bull run vibes where every morning you wake up and everything's pumped another 40% and you're thinking – should I buy more or is it going to finally get a good correction? Every day you wake up and think, oh, is it going to go further again? Or is this finally, uh, yeah, the, the <laughs> give me FOMO vibes. So, uh, you know, uh, so like, to be honest, this is like my fourth cycle and probably my third altcoin cycle that I'm going into now. And I've learned lots of lessons. One of the lessons that I've learned is that the bees will come to a narrative, they will suck all the pollen out of the narrative and then they will leave to the next narrative. And right now this Audi narrative is hot and it can carry on running for a few more days. But I think to me, it just feels like it might be a little bit too late. And I kind of want, I, like I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable doing it, to be honest. You mean, you mean going for it now for all the stacks and whatnot? Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, it feels to me like when something is done seven, seven X in a month, scary. Scary. Of course, that's scary. But th that's again what I said. In a boron, you've got that similar type of uh, behavior, though, where the prices just keep continuing on. I mean, now, if Bitcoin, for example, gets another rush going, like I think Gareth said earlier, and we actually see 48, I, I do believe things like Ordi will probably still get another crazy return going because it's still relatively quite small. I think it's like 60th position still. So one, one billion mark cap. And if, Bitcoin, and, if, and if Bitcoin doesn't hit, uh, 48 k doesn't hit any higher than where we are now. What happens to all the end? It's important to kind of mention the yeah, yeah. flip side of that. But yeah, yeah. Mario, you just went yeah. about it. So change your mic. I got him too. 
I, they took out Garrett. Down, down. He was saying some bearish stuff. People didn't like it. They took him down. If Bitcoin, if Bitcoin doesn't hit those those forty eight k levels, um, or forty six k, or even forty four k, and um, you know we start retracing from now, and what happens to Audi? They'd lead the way down significantly. So I think it's important to mention that flip side as well. I mean, if you're worried about speculating on any single BRC20 or uh, Bitcoin uh, token, you know, wh- why not just own Bitcoin miners who are getting paid directly from this phenomenon and whose price has lagged uh, the Bitcoin price since October? Uh, that's how I would play it. Yeah, yeah, I started buying miners last week. Uh, I was having Mike Alford on the show. He came in and did basically a 30-minute pitch for Bitcoin miners, and he had convinced me about two days before uh, and per, I, I was a little late, but performing exceptionally well. I think that is a huge, huge opportunity going into the next market. But yeah, I think with miners, I mean, Matthew, maybe I'm wrong. Marshall, you're here as well. So great. I'm going to ask Marshall. Um, you have to be pretty selective, though, coming into the having, right? I mean, you have to fundamentally understand the differences between each of these publicly traded miners if you're going to actually allocate. Yeah, look, the, the current landscape of mining is... Uh seemingly from the outside looking in uh they all trade as one however the market's starting to wake up there is fundamental differences in business models you're seeing um analysts like uh reggie over at jpm uh doing a great job over there um you've got companies that are pivoting so an example marathon doesn't own any of their own infrastructure um and so their margins are getting squeezed but they know that so they're in a, a position for they've got heavy cash balances they're going into the having they're going to be looking to pick up uh, value M&A options, I'm sure. Um, you've got other companies that have, uh, frankly, bitten off a lot. Uh, you've got uh, U.S. Bitcoin guys leading the Celsius charge, as well as HUD-8 picking up a fair chunk of uh, data center allocation. Proof sees uh, The proof's going to be in the pudding if they can actually turn those things over uh, from an operational standpoint. It's a lot of work to do as your revenues get cut in half. So there's a lot of people taking shots right now. There's a lot of people upgrading their fleets. Uh, Riot just uh, announcing that they pulled down their option uh, for some new micro BT devices to the tune of 290 million. I believe that's the largest purchase in uh, Bitcoin mining history to date. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of people placing bets right now. People with strong cash balances, people uh, that are good operators, should be fine. Yeah. Um, outside of that, uh, I I can promise you that come April, there's going to be a lot of blood in the water. I think that's guaranteed, which is why it's so important to be discerning. I mean, I think we saw a lot of people massively, a lot of miners massively over allocate on the most expensive machines at the top of the last cycle, right? Then have those delivered in the middle of the bear market and sit on a shelf and not even get turned on. So to your point, anyone who's actually has cash on the sidelines and is buying these depressed miners at 80, 90% off what they were at the top of the last cycle should perform exceptionally well. I know like the one that I looked at the most closely just because uh, I was speaking to him about it was Iris Energy and pretty crazy. They basically the infrastructure that that they own, the company was trading at a lower value than just the value of the infrastructure that they owned outside of even the mining capacity. Yeah, and even at the lowest, HUD 8 was trading lower than the Bitcoin on their balance sheet. I mean, so the the market's very clearly uh, not pricing these assets correctly, but they're also pricing them as one and uh, they are not the same. Yeah, perfect, perfect summary. Simon, I know you've been uh, pretty deep in the mining weeds here for a bit because of Celsius <laughs> and others. Yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the companies I invested in a while ago, and maybe Marshall will laugh this one away, 
Um, they're having another go. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers the epic failure 21 Inc. when they tried to do um, the home mining. Um, there's another crack at that. There's been a lot of innovation happening happening um, in China around that. And uh, I hope, uh, I think in 2024, they're ready to bring that one to market where you could just have a, a little home mining device um, that can repurpose some of your electricity. Um, you can have a node in the device um, and then you can hook it up to a lightning network channel as well. So um, I'm excited to see whether we can have, whether we can have another crack at, at that one. Um, on the ETH narrative, um, I think, so it was when, when we were first discussing this a few years back, Mario, I talked about how ETH, uh, I was, well, you know, ETH had a decent proof of work network. There was the pre-mine, there was the constantly changing code and all of the, the issues that comes with ETH, but now they've switched to proof of stake. I think it's interesting what will happen when the ETFs start doing their ETH ETFs because the important part of that is the ones that own the ETH and stake the ETH becomes the one that own the network. So currently most of the exchanges are the ones that have the largest stake and control the future of Ethereum. But what happens when the ETFs comes along? So BlackRock, Fidelity, um, the banks will own the network and essentially recreate a central bank network. And as new user cases come along, they'll be very incentivized in order to push that as the network for central bank digital currencies and various other stable coins and all the stuff that um, will be launched on the network. And so it will, it will become somewhat of another central bank um, with the ability for people to benefit on the side of the fringe networks um, of uh, being able to stake some of it yourself as well. Uh, so I think that's going to be an interesting one to watch as the as the ETH ETF start launching. It's not a very exciting one. It's not a very sexy one. Um, but I think it will come up in line with Bitcoin and you'll have Bitcoin, the, the network, um, that if you can get these home miners online and various other things, uh, and these lightning channels. There's still so much to do here, which is why people that, that think like we're like at the end of it, once the institutions get involved, um, you know, there's going to be so much more to do here. There's so much more to build. There's so much more uh, to invest in. And there's so many more cycles to go. Love it. Well, Mario, what else? So we had El Salvador up here. I think a uh, quick, nice. quick story is they, they're, they're in the black. <laughs> You're, you're a robot again, too. Um, but uh, El Salvador, much like Michael Saylor, sort of famously was dollar cost averaging and investing in Bitcoin. And once again, they are in profit. And uh, Bukele took that as an opportunity to dunk on people, ask for retractions for people who criticized him. Uh, I think that's the story. Not, not much to discuss, uh, I think, on that end. Wow, Mario. Can you is it am I robot am I am I robot? You're not a robot, but it sounds like you just rubbed the mic across your entire like I just I was dressing up. I came out of the sauna, so I was dressing up. But just quickly, Ryan, you were talking about the, the, the market you're putting cash aside when the market uh, uh, dumps again. Uh, how long do you think before we hit the, the highs, before we break the highs that we just hit now? Which highs? Forty two K plus whatever we hit now before we uh, retract. Uh, I mean, you'll get a 30%, if, if it's anything like previous cycles, you'll get a 30% corrections and it'll take between two and four weeks to get to the price before the correction. That's it. Oh, that's it. That's two to four weeks. A, uh, yeah, two to four weeks. That, that's usually what happens in the bull market. In the bull market, 
you'll I mean again I've only I've taken the I've taken the last three bull markets there have been between six and nine pullbacks in each one of them of twenty percent plus. Um in the early days the dips were much steeper. As as we get later, the dips become less steep. Um the dips and the pumps. Well, yeah, the dips and the pumps become less steep. Uh and the the recovery time for the market is typically two to four weeks in a bull market. Scott, what's your stance on this? Whether I've never asked you that question. Do you think? Do you, do you agree with Rana? I know that you don't like short-term uh, predictions. But I mean, it, listen, it, it got gun to my head. I know what Bitcoin should do here, right? But uh, these things rarely do what they should. If I'm looking at a four-hour chart, for example, uh, Bitcoin hit RSI topped at about 85, which is pretty extremely overbought, and price continues to make slightly higher highs while RSI makes slightly lower highs, which means we have significant bearish divergence. So like if I'm looking at this objectively outside of the news, I would say that it's due for some retracement, but Bitcoin rarely does what it should uh, in a bearish trend. But looking at the chart naked, I would say, you know, if you were just a technical trader looking at it on shorter timeframes, this would be a time, I'm, I'm not saying to short Bitcoin, but you would be looking to take some profit or looking to buy the next rational dip. You know, people will panic if it goes back to low 40, even though if it's not a significant level and dips back down to mid 38s or something. But hard to take that bet at this moment uh, when, it, when it's pushing us hard. But 42K, as I've said over and over, 40 was nothing. I think Dusty alluded to that earlier. It's just a number, you know, but I think that that kind of 38-ish level where you got above the where we were trading when Luna collapsed, uh, really erasing the contagion of 2022. And then 42K, I mean, that was the top of the entire move in 2021 that ended uh, January 2021 when Tesla bought Bitcoin. And if you look at a larger sort of time frame chart, just draw a line across on 42, a horizontal line, it's sort of been a fundamental bottom of uh, some big moves down and top of some big moves up. So it just seems like a very, very important level. Maybe it doesn't matter. Who knows? Bitcoin's going to do what Bitcoin's going to do, but it looks like it God, looks like there up. should be a temporary top. We've gone up too much, too fast, too soon. And then we'll get a pullback. It's just, I mean, you know, it's like, it's kind of obvious. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to believe it. But the pullback's going to come. And when it does, great opportunity to keep buying. I wouldn't right. be the problem is The problem is timing it, right? Because the same well, sentiment was there at 38. The same well, thing I just said was kind of true at 38 to some degree. The idea is, the idea is not to make money, but the idea is to survive. Like you want to, you want to make money and you want to keep the money. You want to survive the whole, the whole, the whole bull market. Now, truth is, as I said, the way that I'm playing this to do that is I don't touch my core holdings, but I'd rather take my risky fun bets off the table now because it just feels like there's more downside than upside. And give up on a little bit of profit versus lose my cash and not be able to play the next the next hand, right? Simon, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I was going to go to the El Salvador side. Did you want to go back there or carry no, on? No, 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 uh, no. Bruce is here, so yes, let's do it. Okay, yeah. So obviously, um, this is a project that's very close to my heart, and I went out to meet the finance minister and uh, Mr. Bukele himself, uh, President Bukele, rather. Um, and um, it was around creating the ratios that could show that you could do something really interesting. And so while everyone's looking at, you know, so the debt to GDP ratios in countries that have excessive IMF debt and um, excessive bonds, and at the time the bonds were really trading at a discount because the 
IMF was downgrading them and saying that they weren't going to lend to them again. They needed to do a refinancing operation. So we were working on constructing a Bitcoin-backed bonds, which was a product we launched at Bank to the Future in 2014, um, based upon geothermal mi Bitcoin mining in Iceland. Um, and uh, being able to do that with um, volcanoes and stuff. So those projects are going to take a, a lot longer uh, to repurpose the electricity. But the the interesting thing about Bekele is that he went through the cycle, he accumulated, um, and if you can start measuring the the debt to GDP and then the debt to Bitcoin ratio, it's going to become a really interesting matrix to show the countries that took the IMF strategy versus those that accumulated hard money and are starting to get on the right side of a savings-based product rather than debt-based product. And I think that's the most interesting thing because obviously Qatar um, went over to meet Bekele um, recently as well. Um, we've seen a surge in a real push towards these alternative stock exchange with Abu Dhabi doing that large mining operation. Um, and that's where all the activity is happening to try and diversify across my, you know, oil mining oh. over to Bitcoin mining and stuff. Um, so I think El Salvador is um, a, a really interesting first case. There's so much more to build once you have Bitcoin as legal tender. You've got Bitcoin denominated financial products, Bitcoin denominated securities. Um, and there's just so much more to build. Then you can have Bitcoin-denominated retirement plans as well. Um, and if the country can prove that they can do it on the country balance sheet over time, um, it, it shows the rest of the world. And I think that's a trend that we should be looking at for the next 10 to 20 years of how much electricity do countries divert over to Bitcoin mining and uh, how many of them actually accumulate a hodl position and what happens to those hodl positions as we start to track those indexes? I've heard Qatar mentioned more in the last week with regard to Bitcoin than probably in my entire time in the crypto space combined before. You just mentioned, obviously, that they were over in El Salvador. I think there was a report and people sort of loosely tweeting that, uh, that Qatar is on the other side of the bid of a lot of these traders, that they have a sovereign wealth fund that's putting, I don't remember if it was a half a billion dollars in. Uh, I saw news that a quantum-resistant blockchain, QANX, I think is the token, was launched uh, or was, uh, I don't know exactly, maybe it was launched today exactly what the news was, but that that was uh, the primary investor was a Qatari prince of some sort. Uh, is this going to be the next country that everybody's talking about? Does anybody have any insight here, Simon? Yeah, probably. And what, what you need to be, what having having worked with a fruit like since, you know, I've I tried to do it in three different countries and the issue you get, is that they start, you try and get them into a Bitcoin strategy. And then suddenly, as soon as you make an announcement, you get all the, all, all the shit coins trying to get them to do all sorts of stuff. And then suddenly you go from like a decent risk management using Bitcoin strategy to um, trying to launch all sorts of, you know, tokens. I think the first one that happened was Iceland with Aurora coin and um, you, you tend to get people that just take you down that route. And the key is to just try and avoid that and maybe just create some kind of infrastructure to try and get the jobs um, and the tax that can come from that. But, yeah, you, you tend to get them starting with a Bitcoin strategy and then all the and then it just goes a little bit wacky and wild. Um, even we saw that with El Salvador, right? It started with a Bitcoin strategy 
And then the first two licenses they approved was um, Bitfinex, which was going to be the securities exchange, but then did it with um, you know, uh, Bitcoin mining securities. And then Binance was the second one that was approved. And so it starts moving further down into you know deviating from that but yeah you'll you'll hear a lot more from qatar i believe yeah it sounds like that's the case bruce any thoughts on this you obviously spend quite a bit of time uh, on that side of the world um what are you hearing yeah i've been excited about that part of the world for a long time and interestingly when i first got into bitcoin you know a lot of the big pools of money Bitcoin just wasn't big enough. You know, these large sovereign funds, it's really hard to conceive how much money the groups in the GCC, Gulf Cooperative Council, that's uh, Qatar, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Bahrain, UAE, uh, they have you know, way, 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 way more money than you know, most other countries. So it's, it's just in the, like, and the difference, and El Salvador is actually quite small. So El Salvador has had an interesting impact and I think is a great, you know, case study for, you know, this can be done. It's kind of a bold, you know, first step startup sort of thing. But, you know, these sovereign funds in the Gulf are, you know, astronomically larger. They don't even bother putting allocations into things often unless it's like a billion dollars, you know. So so the kind of smallest thing they're going to bother doing is something bigger than Sailor. And if they make a you know, you know, if they look at this as like something that you put a real allocation in, like, oh, let's put 1%, 2%, 3%, you know, you're talking potentially, depending which fund, you know, billions and billions and billions of dollars. And there's a lot of funds. You know, there's there's Qatar, there's Adia, Adek, Adia, Adek, Mubadala, the PIF fund in Saudi Arabia. You know, all of these funds are, are you know, deca, deca or hundreds of billions of dollars. So, you know, I think that's in interesting. I mean, it certainly makes sense. I think everybody is going to have to do it. I think there's going to be some FOMO. There's probably some regional FOMO too, as the, you know, small, uh, you know, lower money, um, you know, jurisdictions in that region try and pursue this. You know, so like Bahrain and you know part of the UAE, especially Dubai, where they and, just don't. And Oman. Don't have, yeah, and you mentioned Oman as well. Yeah, Oman. You know, th those three don't. They have extraordinary money, way, 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 way more than El Salvador, but they don't have nearly as much money as Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, and like the Qatar, you know, sovereign fund. You know, these. So it's so it you know definitely has the potential to move. I, I would be feeling FOMO if I was one of the managers on those on those funds. You know, they there's only so many Bitcoin. You got to grab some. And they can obviously make much more uh, quick and definitive decisions because of the structure, correct? I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, compared to something like a, like a, uh, you know, California Teachers Pension Fund, which is exactly. also billions of dollars, you know, they and, and especially depending where it comes from. And then one of the interesting things you hear about in the Gulf and 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 there's something just to keep an eye out. Everybody's always talking about some prints, some prints here or some prints there or something. Uh, one thing to remember is that there's there's a zillion princes, you know, so, so just because somebody's a royal doesn't necessarily mean they have power. Um, there's thousands of them, depending which country. But on the flip side of that, they're, they're at, at the end of the day, these organizations are quite hierarchical. So you have these boards and they run things very conventionally and they have investment managers for each group, the alternative investments, the PE group, the conventional stocks group, you know, some kind of alternative things that would look at Bitcoin. And they have boards and it's very st structured, very similar to something like uh, California teacher's pension. But at the very, very, very top, 
you know, there is rulers of these countries. There is, uh, you know, very senior people, usually royals who are cabinet ministers and these kind of things who run these, who ultimately run and chair these kind of things. Those people, particularly the rulers, have extraordinary power. If a ruler or somebody close to a ruler, kind of top 10, top five people in one of these countries, really gets bullish the way that Bukele got bullish, you're talking about a whole different scenario. They have they have a power to override everything. They can just say, go, do it, you know, buy $20 billion worth of Bitcoin, and it will be done. You know, those managers will, will make it happen. So, yeah, yeah so that's exciting. I, I think Bruce is right. I also think that Bitcoin is an interesting one because if you think about the, the Gulf nations, their fortunes are energy fortunes. And, you know, Bitcoin is a derivative of energy and you know, like it's, a, it's, it's, um, it's a big consumer of energy and stuff like that. So I think, I think there must be a, a correlation. I don't think it's impossible for them to do it. And I think usually once one of those, those Gulf nations, uh, sectors, quadrants start investing in something, then it's, it starts to... You know, as Bruce says, as Bruce said, uh, everyone knows someone, and everyone uh, they—it's they, like a, a big happy family, so to speak. Yeah, the energy is important. Don't forget they're uh, they're mining over there. You know, Abu Dhabi is mining with their nuclear power plant. And what they did when they new, building a nuclear power plant is about the most non-trivial thing you can do in the world. It's 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 the most dangerous, sophisticated, expensive, heavy engineering kind of thing you can you can do. And it takes many, many, many years and a lot of money and resources and know-how and top engineering and safety and everything. So when they do this, they build for the future. You know, they're building something that says, okay, let's plan for what the city's going to look like in the year 2040 so that the power, you know, the nuclear power uh, plant will still be online and be supplying that. So they build way ahead of capacity, especially with so much building going on there. So the nuclear power plant has the ability to produce way, 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 way more energy. It's just basically sitting there. So they're they they're going to keep one of the experts uh, who worked on it was telling me that he said they're going to mine Bitcoin even if Bitcoin was at two dollars because we're like why not you have just free energy sitting there for the next five ten years until you know there's more building and then they need the capacity so the energy angle is really interesting because it is really understood there and a lot of people you know view it like oh okay we you know mine oil out of the ground let's mine some bitcoins with using the oil you know. Yeah, I think that's a great uh, explanation of what's going on there. Guys, do we have any, uh, anything left on the docket, Mario? No, I think that's it, man. Covered it. For today. And we went uh, deeper into mining than expected, but that was great. We got a lot of insight yeah. there. Yeah, we've we got to go through that report. Maybe tomorrow's agenda, we can go through the report that Matthew was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be great. We're going to DM him and hope that uh, he'll grace us with it. Yeah. I did say, though, I did say to you in advance, I was like, every time I have Matthew on my show or here, it's like uh, two hours worth of alpha in two minutes. That rattles off more data than any human being. When is Ryan Selkis publishing his 2024 trends report? Because that's a big thing. That, like, I look forward to that every year. We tried, you know, didn't we try that all last year? Like, we tried it. Well, no, it was his mid-year one that we tried to get him on to discuss. But, yeah, he, I, I saw him tweet something to the effect yesterday of, I hope AI can do this yes, next year because I'm never writing this thing again. Like a hundred and... 80 pages of predictions for the next year that does every year. It's absolutely astounding. But yeah, when that drops, I think it's got to be in the next two weeks. We got to have him on and do maybe a solo show and just uh, discuss it. I think that'd be great. Cool. All right, guys. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.